Good morning. How are we today? Awesome. Good stuff. Well, uh, when I was in middle school, I started noticing, all the best stories come from middle school. Um, it's because it's the darkest, most evil time in your life. Um, when I was in middle school, uh, I noticed that everybody else was getting like grown-up Christmas gifts rather than action figures. And so I remember coming back from Christmas one year and being like, oh, like you got cologne and clothes. Check out my new Wolverine that I got. And it just didn't work. And so the next year, I asked for a guitar. I was going to learn how to play guitar. I was going to be really good at playing guitar because it's easy to play guitar. Don't tell them but that's what I thought. I thought it was easy to play guitar and I wasn't going to have to practice that much because my mom told me I was special and I can do anything. And so I got the guitar and I was very frustrated to learn that it takes work, that you have to build up all these calluses on your fingers. I didn't like that. I didn't like all the time it took to figure out I didn't like practicing. And I was super frustrated because I was not immediately good at the guitar. I didn't like failing. And what I've learned about myself since then, that there have been many things over the years that I've avoided doing or that I haven't done because I was afraid to fail. And I was afraid of experiencing what that would be like. I didn't know how. I didn't want to show myself grace. And there may be things in your life today that have been so difficult for you and, and you're, you're beating yourself up over it. You think you failed. You think you've messed up. You think you've ruined your life. Or maybe they're little things, and you beat yourself up over the smallest things. Like you, you, you have a typo in a text message, and you're like, ah, I look like such an idiot. Today I want us to talk about how we can show when it is we show grace to ourselves. We're going to be in John chapter 21. That's the last chapter in the book of John. If you get to Acts, turn left. And I want us to see when it is, three seasons, that we need to show ourselves grace. Because we're walking through a series about everyday grace. And we're doing that because we finished up Hebrews in the summer, and the last kind of words there are grace to you. And so we're extending grace uh, throughout our lives. And so today, the three seasons, we need to show ourselves grace. The first one is when we are disoriented. We need to show ourselves grace when we are disoriented. John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, that's the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. This is such an amazing scene in scripture because I feel like the disciples often get treated unfairly. We, not, we don't like to show grace to the disciples, really. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's come back to life. And not only is he back alive, he was fully dead. And now he is fully alive. And he has told the disciples, you go to Galilee. Wait for me there and I'll tell you what you're supposed to do. So they do. They go to Galilee. This is where they're at. And they don't have like an outlook appointment with him. So they're just waiting. He's going to show up eventually. And while they're waiting, Peter's like, again, man of action. He's got to be busy doing something with my hands. I'm going to go fishing. That's what I know to do. I'm going to go do it. And all the disciples are like, okay, we'll go with you. Sounds good. Let's go. 
And so they go out there, and they don't catch anything. And there's this guy on the shore that tells them, hey, throw your net on the other side. You'll catch a bunch of fish. And they do. What I love about this passage, what I feel like John does a really good job of as a writer, is telling us how the disciples felt without coming right out and being like, this is how we felt at the time, blah, 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 blah. He does a really good job of teaching us this because the entire world has changed. The world is completely different. The disciples are at ground zero of the most monumental event in history. And even if you're not a believer, even if you don't believe the resurrection is true, you can believe that the claims of Jesus' resurrection have completely changed the world, completely changed the world we live in. And the disciples are at ground zero of this. They are, they are having to deal with the reality that this man who taught them so much said that he was going to die, and then he said he was going to come back to life, and that's exactly what he did. Do you know how disorienting this must have been? How their world must have been turned up on their head. You can't imagine what it is like to be in that situation. We can't imagine what it's like to live in that scenario because we live in that scenario. It's the world we live in, the world that's been changed and shaped by the claim that somebody who claimed to be God died and came back to life. In 1883, there was a, a volcanic island in Indonesia called Krakatoa. You can't go there now because it exploded. And when I say exploded, I mean exploded. To call it an eruption is to call World War II a disagreement. It was massive. The eruption was so large that it was 13,000 times the explosive force of the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. It could be heard as far away as Africa and as far south as Australia. The force of the explosion circled the globe three times. So imagine you're just in London having tea. You're like, hello, Governor. And then, whoa, what was that? That's the only time you're getting a British accent out of me is it. <laughs> but I had the pinky up. <laughs> Sailors that were in a harbor nearby had their eardrums exploded from the blast. Can you imagine how disorienting that was for them? And this is where the disciples are. The disciples are at ground zero, at the Krakatoa of human history, when things will never be the same again. If this is true, if Jesus has come back from the dead, then everything he said is true. Everything he's taught us is true. If he was right about that, he's right about everything else. Has to be. And so the disciples are here at ground zero and they're disoriented. They're like the sailors. They don't know what's going on. They're trying to figure out what this new world order is. The, the, the force, uh, the, 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 the sound of the resurrection, the echo of the empty tomb hadn't reached to Rome or to Spain or to our age yet. And so these seven guys on the, on the shore of Galilee or Lake Galilee, Sea of Galilee are trying to figure out what to do with their lives. What is Jesus going to ask of them when he shows up? Because the real thing is he could ask them anything at this point. And maybe you've had an experience like this, where your world has completely erupted. There's a singular event that you can point to. Maybe it's recently, maybe it's long distant in the past, and you are still feeling the repercussions. Maybe you still feel like your eardrums are exploded, your spiritual senses have erupted and are just destroyed. And you are completely disoriented by what has happened in your life. You don't know up from down, down from up. 
This is the season of disorientation, and this is where you have to show yourself grace. This is where you have to extend yourself grace. We give the disciples a bad rap all the time. We're like, they abandoned Jesus. They went back to Galilee. They're fishing. They went back to their old jobs. I don't think they're doing anything wrong. And I think this because look what Jesus calls them in verse 5. He says, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? He calls them children. That doesn't sound like an angry term. That's a term of endearment. The Greek word is literally the word for children, but it can also mean things like, hey, guys, or fellas. I imagine him kind of going by and like, you boys caught any fish yet? And they say, no, we haven't. Do you think that Jesus, Jesus isn't disappointed in what they've done? And you keep reading and he, he serves them. He ministers to them. He asks them questions. He cooks them breakfast. It's pretty sadistic if you're angry at somebody to cook them breakfast first, just so you can yell at them. We live in a disorienting world. There are regular things. You'll, you'll have something happen to you today that'll be slightly disorienting. The restaurant you're going to have lunch at today is not going to have the taco you want. And you're going to be like, and when you're hungry, that feels like Krakatoa. Let's just be honest. You have a slightly disorienting, your, your week is going to be disoriented because it's a short week. So you're like, yeah, it's great. We have Labor Day off, but I got to pack five days worth of work and four days worth of work. We're disoriented. And let me ask you this. Do you think that Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins so that he could stand on the shoreline, look out at us struggling with the lifeboat that we have, trying to navigate the storms of life, and he's just, he, he died so that he has the right to yell into our lives, you're terrible. Why can't you figure this out? Look at everybody else. They've got it. Do you really think that's why Jesus went to the cross? Because it's absolutely not why he died for you. Does he stand on the shore? Yes, he does. And he sees you struggling and he says a similar question to what he asked the disciples. How's it going? And when you tell him, Lord Jesus, it's not good, he says, I can help. I can help. If you'll extend yourself grace, you may be at ground zero of a disorienting, life-changing Event. It may not change the world, but it has been Krakatoa to you. And you're disoriented because you feel like you should be better. You should be farther along. You should be a better Christian. I should be a better husband. I should be a better uh, child. I should be a better parent. I should be a better roommate, a better employee, a better whatever, human being. And you're disoriented. And the Lord stands on the shore of your life. And he calls out to you and he tells you the same thing he told Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. So one of the ways you can know that you're extending grace to yourself is are you resting in the promise that Jesus' grace is sufficient for you? Or are you still trying? Are you still striving? The first act of trust maybe you can give today is to trust Jesus and to rest in his promise that his grace is sufficient. But we don't just need grace when we're disoriented. We have another season that we go through, and it's called reorientation. So we need grace when we're disoriented. We need to show ourselves grace when we are reoriented. Look at verse 7. 
That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So for whatever reason, whether the light it was becoming brighter, it was becoming morning, or he re- recognized the, uh, the miracle of the fish, which had already happened in, in, uh, before in Luke 24. John recognizes Jesus. And so Peter just jumps off the boat and starts swimming to shore, which I think is funny for two reasons. One, it doesn't sound like the boat was far behind him. So I just kind of pictured the two of them, just like, Peter, why are you swimming? I don't know. I'm just kind of going alongside each other. But two, do you remember the scene in Forrest Gump where, where Lieutenant Dan shows up when uh, Forrest is the shrimp boat captain. And Forrest gets so excited that he just jumps off the boat and swims to Lieutenant Dan and the boat just keeps going and like crashes into a dock. Forrest Gump has ruined this verse of the Bible for me because that's all I can picture. In fact, Peter might be Forrest Gump to me from now on and I've ruined scripture and I've now ruined it for you too. So you're welcome. Just go back and watch that scene. It's basically the same thing. So Peter jumps off the boat and he swims to shore And he's having this really, uh, he wants to be near Jesus. He wants to be close to him. And they get to the shore and Jesus is cooking them breakfast. Just a bunch of guys getting together and and having uh, time together. I don't know, there's something, I'll say magical, maybe magical, about guys coming together around fire. It's Maybe it's something just like hardwired into us. There's a a dad's pop-up coming up in a couple weeks, September 14th, right? Is that right? Caleb's giving 10th. Thank you. 10th. So if you're a guy and you want to hang out with some other guys, the, the, check that out on the, on the web. Uh, September 10th. But the really interesting part is not just the fire. The interesting part is what is said about it in, in verse 12. It says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They didn't dare to ask him. Why didn't they just say they knew who he was? So they didn't need to ask him. It says they didn't dare to ask him. The word dare there is the same word that's used when the religious leaders have gotten so schooled by Jesus when they ask questions that they don't dare to ask him any more questions. They're like, we give up. We're beaten down. So when you look up the word in the Greek dictionary, it says that the word dare is to have courage in the face of danger, opposition, or a problem. Now, is Jesus a danger to them? No, it doesn't seem like Jesus is a danger to them. He's just made them breakfast. He loves them. He's not dangerous to them. Is he opposed to them? No, we've just confirmed that he is not opposed to them. He loves them and he's trying to to minister to them. He's trying to, to show them how much he loves them. Is Jesus a problem for them? You bet he is. You bet he is. They have no idea what to do with Jesus. They don't have a category for what he is now because he's still Jesus. But he's also not the Jesus that they knew. 
He has been buried. He's been resurrected. He has been glorified. He's still a human being. He's still God, but he is something completely other than that they have no idea. They don't have a category for him. It's Jesus, but it's not Jesus. This is completely different. And this is when you know you have entered into reorientation. Is when the Jesus that you thought you knew starts looking a little bit differently. You see, Jesus doesn't change. Jesus is God. God doesn't change. That's one of his core attributes. He never changes. But our experience and our understanding of who God is changes. When we go through something, when you go through a season of disorientation, you think you know who God is, and then you go through this disorientation, and you realize, wait a minute. God is somebody that I didn't, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought. And you begin to see him in a different light. You begin to see him in a new way. This happens a lot. It happens more than you think it does. For instance, uh, when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, we read that and we think, oh, that's very noble, Jesus. Good idea. We should do that thing where we love our enemies. That's perfect. And then somebody hurts us. Somebody betrays us. Somebody lets us down. And we read love your enemies and we think, but Jesus, you don't understand. Like this person, did, they crossed a line. Like how can I forgive them? How can I forget what they've done? How can I have this relationship with them anymore? How can I, how can I, how can I? And we get to love your enemies and we think, uh, yeah, but there's exceptions. This is when you know you've entered reorientation. Jesus is reorienting you to who he is. The disciples are getting that reorientation on the shore. We get our reorientation in the moments of disorientation. Every single seismic shakeup in your life whether it is the barista getting your order wrong at Starbucks to the Krakatoa of a terminal illness is an opportunity for the Lord to reorient you to a new idea, a new concept, a new reality about himself, a new experience of him. And he's going to appear different in that moment. He'll, you'll, you'll think, I don't know this Jesus. He seems familiar, but he also seems different. And you'll feel shocked. You'll feel even disoriented a little bit by that. So Travis, what does showing grace to myself have to do with that at all? And it has everything to do with it. If you want to be the person that God has created you to be, it has everything to do with it. Because the biggest danger to this reorientation that takes place, the biggest danger to your spiritual life is for you to discount it and say, well, surely God doesn't want that for me. Surely God doesn't want me to be uncomfortable. Surely God doesn't want this change in my life. Surely it's not my fault, it's everybody else's fault. Surely I'm not the one who's wrong. I understand God. I have this great relationship with him. He wouldn't ask me to do that. It's everybody else that's wrong. It's everybody else that needs to figure it out. That's the biggest danger. You see, we often think the person who needs uh, to be shown grace, the person who shows grace to themselves is the person who feels like they're constantly messing up, they're constant failure. That's true, they do need to show themselves grace, but it's also the people who don't think they need grace that need grace as well. It's the people who think they have everything figured out, people who don't think they're wrong. You are so disoriented, some of you are so disoriented that you think you know who Jesus is and you don't. Up is down and down has been up for so long that you don't even know you're living in an upside down world. You think it's right side up? And it takes the powerful seismic disruption of a God-ordained disruption in your life to shake you loose of those things. 
to rupture your eardrums and to set you on a path of reorientation to him. And if you discount it, you'll miss it. But if you recognize you need the grace of God in your life, you will find Jesus there waiting for you to show you this is who I've been all along. You've just missed it. So Travis, you may have convinced me that I need grace, but how do I do this? Well, we were, fortunately, I'm going to turn to a professional. So I'm going to invite Jackie Welchman uh, from the center to come and join us. I'm going to ask her a couple of questions uh, about what it means to show ourselves grace. Jackie, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so I feel like I am good, maybe not, I'm okay, at showing other people grace. I'm much more ready, perhaps, to show people grace. Sure. I'm less ready to show myself grace. Why is that? That's such a good question, and I'm so excited to be here today because there's a lot of depth on the topic of grace. Three things come to mind when I think of why don't we offer ourselves grace. The first one is um, our society and the basis on individualism and goal-driven behaviors. Social media exacerbates that as well. So we're constantly comparing our life to somebody else's life. There are also a lot of misconceptions about grace. So a lot of times in the counseling space, I hear uh, a client say, so if I offer myself grace, am I not being self-indulgent? Is this not laziness or will this not breed complacency? And the exact opposite is actually true. Whenever you are kind to yourself, when you make a mistake and you reframe that to say something like, this is an opportunity for me to grow and learn, your emotional needs are met, and so then you can focus on others. Grace can also be painful. Mm. And what I mean by that is I work with a lot of people who, um, after you uncover the why behind it, um, their worth is tied to an achievement rather than their intrinsic worth mm. that the Lord speaks about. That's so, so powerful and so true and so at the risk of uh, my own self being counseled here and perhaps being billed. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more question. Uh, sure. So how then practically do I show myself grace and what are some practical things I can do to bring it to fruition? Sure. So I think the first thing is self-awareness. So if you know you have a tendency to kind of really have critical messages about yourself when you make a mistake, it's practice. So it is reframing those things, and it's saying this is an opportunity for me to grow. Um, you can also practice gratitude. So this is, at the end of the day, you would say something uh, like, what did I do well today? What went right today? And that kind of changes your perspective. Another really important thing is to kind of lean into the truth and be in relationship with people where you can be authentic and that um, you can express kind of what your struggles mm -hmm. are, and they can give you back the truth. And also another thing is to limit uh, your social media time. So I would say 15 minutes Oof. a day. I know that goes fast, but I think that's enough. Um, and then, you know, you can always talk to a professional counselor if you feel like it's something that you really struggle with. That's great. Thank you, Jackie. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. So the great thing, uh, Jackie, uh, isn't this isn't just one time. There's we get to hear from her on Wednesdays. Uh, she is starting a family support uh, group, an opportunity to uh, speak with her and others about what's going on in your life. And so, if you kind of resonated with her or felt like you had a connection there, uh, you can see her on Wednesday. She's a part of the center as well, and so you can reach out to the center counseling. Um, so yeah. Uh, 
take advantage of those opportunities because it truly is a blessing to have the center uh, as a part, uh, uh, ministering together with us. So we have uh, a season of reorientation. We have a season of disorientation that we need to show ourselves grace. But we also have a third season uh, where we need to uh, show ourselves grace is when we are appointed. We need to show ourselves grace when we are appointed. So we move into a final scene in verse uh, 5. Is it 5? No, it's 15. Wow. 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show, but what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he has said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter is asked three times if he loves Jesus. The reason he's asked three times is because Peter denied Jesus three times. And so each, oper- each, each question is an opportunity for Peter to be reinstated into the ministry, but it's important that you know that he's not being reinstated to occupy the previous position that he had. He's not being set up to, to go back to being just a disciple. Jesus is appointing him to a new position, a new role. Notice he says to feed my sheep, and he says it three times, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. You're going to shepherd, you're going to pastor, you're going to care for them. You see, oftentimes when we are disoriented and then we get reoriented, we want Jesus to go help us go back to the way things were before. We want to return to the situation that we were in previously. And that's probably not what Jesus has for you. Oftentimes when you have a seismic shakeup in your life, you can't go back. You can rebuild, but you can't undo what's been done. You see, when Jesus reorients us to who he is, new ideas, new, uh, a new understanding, a new relationship, perhaps, new concept of relationship with him, you're going to be asked to do something new with that information. You're being appointed to perhaps new ministry, a new reality in your life. And again, when I say new ministry, I don't necessarily mean you're going to be quitting your job and going to like serve somewhere overseas for the rest of your life. That may be on the table. But it could be something as simple as uh, forgiving somebody. It could be something as simple as sharing Christ with your neighbor. Across the board, there are different things that Jesus is preparing you for and appointing you to. A new season, a new time, a new chapter in your life. And if you are like me, when you encounter something new, it's intimidating. Again, middle schooler playing guitar. Didn't do well. 
And so oftentimes, I think when we, when we get to this point, we get little panic attacks and we're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm not ready for something new. I can barely handle the things, Jesus, that you've already given me. How am I supposed to do the new things? Lord, what am I supposed to do here? And it's hard. That can be really disorienting to us. And so I hope you see what's happened here. We've completed a circuit. We're disoriented by something that happens in our life. Jesus reorients us out of that to something new and, and, and powerful about him so that we can do something new for him. And that new experience winds up being disorienting and we go through this cycle again and again and again. And so I've pulled one on you here because the answer to when should I show myself grace is the odds are you are always in one of those three seasons. So when you should show yourself grace, always, always, because you're likely in one of those three seasons. You're likely going through a time of one of those three things. And if you want to run that lap, if you want to go through that experience, but you do it without the grace of God in your life. You try to just grow as a person without grace. You know what's going to happen? It's like running a marathon without shoes on. I know there's weird people that do that. It was like a big fad like 10 years ago. I think it's kind of died out. Maybe not. Maybe some people still run barefoot. But I remember I was in a race one time. And there was a guy running the race behind me running barefoot. And he had to stop running because he cut his foot open on a bottle cap. That was not a problem at all if you had had shoes. And you can try and run this race on your own. And if you try it, you will get many, many cuts and many, many bruises. If you try to run it without grace. Now you might say, well, Travis, why do I have to do it like this? Why is God so interested in putting us through this rent cycle of disorientation, reorientation, and, and being appointed? Why do we do this? Why is this the process of sanctification? I'll tell you why. The person who's asking us to do this went through this himself. He went through it himself. What do you think it was like for him, the son of God, spirit, eternally a spirit, to put on flesh, to be a baby, to grow up, to see friends die, family die, to have cuts and bruises, to be hurt emotionally, to be beaten, to be ridiculed, to be crucified. How disorienting do you think that was? And then to be buried and resurrected in a new flesh, to be reoriented to this new reality. And then to be appointed Lord and Savior of all humanity. You see, the way that grace is made available to us, the only reason why we have grace to draw on in the first place is because the means by which it was gained for us was through disorientation, reorientation, and appointing. And so for us to tap into that, to have access to that, we follow that same path. But we need to first trust that what Jesus went through is all we need. For that grace to be sufficient for you, you have to trust that his death, his burial, and resurrection is all you need. But so often we bring to Jesus our resume. So often we bring to him our accomplishments, all the things we've done, the, the, the reasons why we have validation in life. And it doesn't work. 
You know what I love about Peter's response to Jesus after he keeps asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know what he says? Peter doesn't go through and say, well, I cast out demons and uh, I cut a guy's ear off for you that one time. That was pretty metal. Uh, I did some other things that were pretty cool. Remember that time I sort of walked on water with you? Like, you know, I love you. No, you know what Jesus says or what Peter says to Jesus? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. That's called a profession of faith. You know all things. So some of you today don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've still, you're still walking the path of disorientation, reorientation, and appointing. But you don't have a relationship with him. And so he extends to you the day, do you love me? And you have the opportunity to put faith in him today and say, Lord Jesus, you know all things you know that I don't. But I want to. I want to trust you. I need you to come aboard the boat of my life and tell me how to get this thing to shore, how to navigate these waves. Some of you are disoriented by a new phase of life, a new situation in your world. And Jesus says, follow me. Peter is told here exactly how he's going to die. Moment of disorientation there. But Peter, Jesus quickly reorients him and says, follow me. And Peter tries to sort of get out of it. He's like, what about that guy over there, right? And Jackie pointed it out, social media is the, the hotbed of comparison. By the way, when he, she said to be on there for 15 minutes, it was like Krakatoa. You could feel the wave hit all of you. It's like, 15 minutes? No. Especially the younger people in there. He reorients him and he appoints him there. Comparison will kill whatever God is doing in your life because we look around and we're like, well, they're not disoriented. They're not disoriented. Yes, they are. They're just covering it up. We're all in the middle of this cycle and we're going to stay in the cycle until Christ returns or he calls us home. Maybe you need to be reoriented. Maybe you need help reorienting. That's why the Grow Ministries are going on on Wednesday nights. Maybe the, the, the family group that we talked about with Jackie could be an option. Maybe you just need to know more. Maybe you need to, to time to be fed and to be to poured into. Jeff's leading a, a study on Wednesday nights called the Pastor Study that you can be a part of. And if you're a leader and you don't really get poured into, but you're pouring into other people, that can be a great place for you to have somebody to pour into you. Maybe that's the way you show yourself grace. It's like, no, you know what? I'm taking a class. I'm going to learn something. I want to be reoriented to who Jesus is. But however God is doing in your life, know that you are in one of these seasons and it is only through the grace of God that you're going to be reoriented to him and appointed to what God has for you in seasons of disorientation. Don't waste it. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for how good you are to us and that you have given us a Savior who knows exactly what it's like to be us, disoriented, confused. Lord, I pray that for each person in this room who's experiencing that today, I pray that you would comfort them and encourage them, Lord, but I pray that you would reorient them to the greatest truth of all, that you love them and that you're there for them. And I pray you would appoint them for your service. Be with us now as we worship and as we take the Lord's Supper. Amen.